Welcome to Torat Imecha, Nach Yomi, with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Leah Herzog, and today we will be studying Sefer Amos, Perik Bet, the Book of Amos, Chapter 2. In Perik Aleph, Chapter 1, we met Amos and established the time period in which he lived and prophesied. It was a time of relative peace and stability in both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, and some people, namely the rich, were very comfortable and therefore very complacent. The job of every Navi, every prophet, is extremely difficult, as he or she has to deliver messages that no one wants to hear. We never want to hear what we are doing wrong. We generally resist change especially changing the status quo, and even more so if we are benefiting from it. It was no different then than it is today, and this is why the words of these Nevi'im, these prophets, were preserved and canonized by Chazal, by our sages, and why they still resonate so resoundingly even today. Amos is involved with sheep, either as a shepherd or as a sheep breeder. This is a profession that is historically connected with prophecy. His work gives him a front-line perspective on the economic state of affairs and the huge divide between rich and poor. This divide is associated with tremendous moral and religious failings. Not only do the rich not uphold their moral religious and halachic legal obligations to support the poor, they take advantage of the poor and oppress them. It is this sin more than any other to which Hashem, through his Navi Amos, is responding. In order to get people to pay attention to him, Amos maximizes the use of rhetorical tools. He repeats the same phrases over and over, Ko amar Hashem, so says Hashem. Al shlosha pish a blank ve al arba'a lo ashivenu. For three sins of a particular nation I will be tolerant, but for a fourth I will not stay back. In Parak Aleph, chapter 1, Amos delineates the sin of five of Israel's persistent and vicious enemies. In Perik Bet, chapter 2, we continue with this mantra. Perik Bet, chapter 2, begins as follows. Ko amar Hashem al shlosha pish'e mo'av ve'al arba'a lo ashivenu al sarfo atzmot melech edom lasid. So says Hashem, for three sins of Moab I will be tolerant, but for the fourth I will not hold back. For they have burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. It is fascinating that Amos is delineating Moab's cruelty to another nation, Edom, rather than to Bnei Yisrael. We know from Malachim Bet, 2 Kings, chapter 3, that Edom and Moab were enemies. Edom actually joined B'nai Israel in an alliance against Moab. 
Mitsudat David, one of the commentaries, explains that during the course of this war, the king of Moab captured the heir to Edom's throne and slaughtered him and burnt him. The king of Edom then blamed Israel, and Edom's subsequent wars and cruelty to Israel, which are mentioned in Perak Aleph chapter 1, were a result of Moab's cruelty to Edom. We know that Moab and Ammon were unique in their total lack of compassion, and this is why their men are never allowed to convert to Judaism. The seventh on the list of nations for whom Hashem will wreak vengeance is Malchut Yehuda, the southern kingdom of Judah. By the time Amos is prophesying, the split between the northern and the southern kingdoms, Malchut Yisrael and Malchut Yehuda, is more than 150 years old. The kingdoms are sometimes allied against a common enemy, but more often than not, they are antagonists. As a matter of fact, King Yeravam's father, Yoash, waged a bloody war with King Uzziah's father, Amatsya, and both sides used Aram as a temporary ally against the other. The enmity between the two had religious, political, and territorial underpinnings. There were competing Mikdashim temples, one in Jerusalem in the south and one in Bethel in the north. The northern kingdom had adopted idolatry as coexisting with what they saw as Avodat Hashem, the service of Hashem. The core of this rivalry, however, goes all the way back to Yaakov, to Jacob and his sons, and the old tensions between Yosef, Joseph, Yaakov's favorite, and Yehuda, Judah. The kings of Malchut Yisrael, the northern kingdom, were predominantly from the tribe of Ephraim, one of Joseph's sons, while the kings of the south, Malchut Yehuda, were all part of the Davidic line. It is therefore very easy to imagine the people who are listening to Amos rubbing their hands together gleefully as Amos intones the following. Koamar Hashem al shlosha pishe Yehuda ve al arbaa lo ashivenu al maasam et Torat Hashem ve chukav lo shamaru ve yatum kizvehem asher halchu avotam acharehem. So says Hashem, for three transgressions of Judah I will accept, for four I will revoke. Because they have scorned the teachings of Hashem and have not observed his laws, they are beguiled by the delusions after which their fathers walk. And I will send down fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the fortresses of Jerusalem. The people of the north that Amos was speaking to surely reveled in the stripping bare of Yehuda's sense of religious superiority and of the prediction of their impending downfall. So when Amos has the full attention of his listeners, he begins to talk about them. And the contrast to the other sections is stark. 
instead of only one part of one verse delineating the fourth unforgivable sin, there are three full verses, and instead of one or two verses rebuking and predicting the punishments to come, there are eight. In Psukim Vav and Zayin, verses 6 and 7, we hear, Koamar Hashem, al shlosha pish'e Yisrael, ve'al arba'a lo ashivenu, al mihram bekesef tzadik, ve'evyon ba'avur na'alayim. So says Hashem, for three transgressions of Israel I will be tolerant, for four I will not revoke it, because they have sold for silver those whose cause was just, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Hashoafim al afar eretz berosh dalim, vidarech anavim yatu, veish ve aviv yelchu el neara leman chilel et shem hashem. They trample the heads of the poor into the dust of the ground, and they make the humble walk a twisted course. Father and son go to the same girl, and therefore profane my holy name. These sins of immorality, particularly those concerning social injustice, are front and center. The Mitsudat David explains these verses as follows. The judges were so corrupt that their judgment could be purchased for only the price of a pair of shoes. The rich and the judiciary they purchased didn't even need the financial gain they may have received in cases against the poor. It was enough just to humiliate and abase the poor even further. They made them walk crooked, pitted paths rather than well-maintained roads. Halachically, according to Jewish law, maintaining roads is incumbent upon the government and the courts specifically so that everyone has equal access to those courts and to justice. These verses indicate that the power that the wealthy had over society, the judges were eager to be on their good side, and the judges could therefore be bought so cheaply. The Radak, another commentary, points out that this fourth sin, the total perversion of the judiciary, is the definition of Hamas, which is a total disregard for another's rights. And this is the Hamas is the reason given for why Hashem destroyed the world by a mabul, by a flood, in the time of Noah. Verses 9 through 11 delineate all the good that Hashem has done for B'nai Yisrael, and this is a theme that will be repeated in chapters to come. Hashem removed their powerful enemies when they entered the land, and he established prophets to teach them, and Nazarites to set examples of consecrated asceticism. But B'nai Yisrael were intentionally oblivious to all the good that Hashem had done for them, and deaf to the words of the prophets that Hashem had sent, and even seduced the Nazarites purposely to drink wine. Therefore, when the punishment that same fire, devastation, destruction, and exile that the other seven people suffered arrives, there will be no escaping it, as we hear in the last two verses of the chapter. V'tofes ha-keshet lo ya'amod 
וקל ברגליו לא ימלט, ורוכב הסוס לא ימלט נפשו. For the bowman shall not hold his ground, and the fleet-footed shall not escape, nor the horseman save his life. ואמיץ ליבו בגיבורים נאום השם, ערום ינוס ביום ההוא. And even the most stout-hearted warrior shall run away unarmed, naked, declares the Lord. Nothing that you have relied on, says Amos, not money, not a corrupt justice system, not physical and military prowess, and not even Hashem's love for His people will protect you from the punishment to come. You will be Arom, naked, and as unable to hide from Hashem's anger and the consequences of your own actions than Adam and Chava were after they sinned in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden. By the end of Perik Bet, Chapter 2, Amos has delivered his first message. Yes, the enemies will be punished for the evil that they wrought on B'nai Yisrael. But as you too have sinned, so you too shall be punished harshly. And violating the profound moral foundation of the Torah, justice and kindness, chesed and mishpat, seems to be the greatest sin of all. Thank you for studying together. Le'ilui nishmat, Riva Schwab, Rivka Vat Alexander Sender